I want to tell you something, and that is operating a food company has been one of the most challenging endeavors of my life. From innovating products that we want to land at the intersection of taste and nutrition, to wrestling with supply chain issues and managing inventory, I have had more sleepless nights in the past three years than I have in the last 30, including the 12 when I was a firefighter. But no one tells you that food is hard. But I also want to say, it's because of each of you that we continue to get in the trenches day after day after day. It's in our core values to keep at it, knowing that we are filling a giant void in the market with products that you can't find anywhere else. And this makes it easier for us to climb out of bed each day. I want to thank you for your patience. We are anxiously awaiting the return of our organic pancake and waffle mixes. And we're excited to announce that our Plant Strong milks will be available online later this week, followed soon thereafter by the return of our exciting new burger mixes. Our goal is to be your reliable and trustworthy partner for all things Plant Strong, allowing you to stock up on healthy meals that you can make and enjoy in minutes while still managing your busy lives. I appreciate each and every one of you and want you to know that the effort will be worth it once more brands start to care about the integrity of the nutrition that they're putting into their products. Thank you so much for your support and please stay tuned for exciting updates at planstrong.com. It's sort of been my way of activism through the years. You know, I'm not, I, I don't put myself out there for, uh, you know, the, the animal rights side of things, but I think if you show people what this food is, yeah. then you're doing a lot, right? Because if people can see that it tastes delicious and they're enjoying it and they're not feeling unsatisfied, uh, then you're showing them that there's a whole new way to live and yeah. it's a long-term, right? Long-term perspective. I'm Rip Esselstyn and welcome to the Plant Strong podcast. The mission at Plant Strong is to further the advancement of all things within the plant-based movement. We advocate for the scientifically proven benefits of plant-based living and envision a world that universally understands, promotes, and prescribes plants as a solution to empowering your health, enhancing your performance, restoring the environment, and becoming better guardians to the animals we share this planet with. We welcome you wherever you are on your Plant Strong journey, and I hope that you enjoy the show. Hey, everybody. Welcome back to the Plant Strong Podcast. I am your host, Rip Esselstyn. And today, I have a really warm, delicious, and really comfortable conversation with one of the OGs in the plant-based space. She's a chef. She's written six different books. Her first book came out in 2001, and she grew up in Newfoundland, of all the crazy places, and she currently hails outside of Vancouver, British Columbia, 
Uh, I've heard about her for absolutely forever, and I just can't believe I've never engaged with her before. So it was a thrill for me to finally get to get to meet her and and have a conversation with her. Her name is Drina Burton. You've you've probably heard of her. And uh, her newest book that just came out about two weeks ago is called Drina's Kind Kitchen. She truly, as you're gonna as you're gonna see, she epitomizes what it means to be kind and generous and humble. And there's just so many great takeaways in today's episode. And I can't wait for you to jump in and and take a lesson. All right. Before I talk to Drina, I'd like to highlight one of the key reasons why members of the Plant Strong Meal Planner community enjoy our platform so much. They love that 100% of our delicious recipes adhere to the nutritional guidelines that can actually help them lose weight, feel great, and prevent or reverse chronic diseases. The internet is loaded with recipes for vegan lasagnas or plant-based scalloped potatoes, but you would have to wade through literally hundreds and hundreds of these links to find those recipes that don't have the fake cheeses, all the oils, copious amounts of salt, fat, and of course, sugars. Members of the Meal Planner trust that our curated recipes all align with their health goals and that they can shop, prep, and cook with confidence, knowing their meals are going to taste great and keep them on track. If you'd like to try our meal planner for free for 14 days, just use the code BACKTOSCHOOL, all one word, to enjoy two weeks of free access. And after the trial ends, membership is just $1.90 a week. Visit mealplanner.plantstrong.com today. And now, let's get to Drina. Drina, it's so good to have you. And I can't believe that you and I have never met before. We've never spoken before. We've never had a phone call before. I mean, don't you think that's weird? Very, very weird because we've both been in the plant-based community for a long time and and have been eating plant-based for a long time. So uh, lovely to finally meet you and talk with you. Yeah, well, well, likewise. And you really are, you know, we put the label like, you know, OG, some of the original gangsters, and you truly (laughs) are one of the original gangsters going back to your first cookbook that came out in 2001, long before like, you know, Colin Campbell or Dr. Esselstyn were even like in the picture. (laughs) (laughs) And uh, we're in season three right now Mm -hmm. of, of the podcast. I love to ask each one of my guests what their kind of Galileo moment was when they realized or they saw the truth and it informed the direction Mm -hmm. that they would go in and truth seekers like yourself uh who basically dare to look at life through a through a different lens especially Mm -hmm. before that way of looking at life is widely accepted and so i'd love to just to go out of the gates yeah i'd love to find out from you about your journey? Is this something you jumped into all at once? Was it kind of a slow evolution? Yeah, um, certainly. I wish I had that story that was like, I had this 
breakthrough <laughs> moment, you know, and then I was vegan overnight and, and just took it all on. It wasn't quite like that. I grew up in a family. I have five sisters, um, loved food as a child, like just loved everything about food. Didn't have the best dietary habits. Um, I was a little overweight as a child. My mom put me on diet. So I became very conscious of food, you know, like just very aware of it because of my love for food, but also my mother trying to, you know, help me with my weight at the time and the methods not being obviously the best. Um, but my, you know, love for food, I guess, and and that history brought me to where I am now. So I'm very grateful for it. Um, but very, you know, meat centric, just like most of us meat and potatoes. And I loved junk food. Um, I just like loved it. I, every, everything that was out there. And then in my teens, um, my sister found this article about red meat and it was, you know, very obscure. And she just read out this quote that, and I even don't know how accurate it was, but something to the, to the matter that, red meat remains undigested in your intestines for, you know, <laughs> which sounds really gross. And I was like, what? Uh, and well, we, we, and we've, we've all heard the tale of, you know, I don't know about you, but when John Wayne died, he had like five pounds of undigested red <laughs> meat and it's, you know, coursing throughout his intestines, <laughs> just like, Oh God, no. <laughs> <laughs> it's quite repulsive, right. As a, yeah. as a notion. Um, so it just triggered something in me to, you know, look at food. And I just said, I'm not going to eat red meat. And it was one of those teenage things. I'm not going to eat red meat. But of course, to me, all the other meat was okay, right? And that was the era too that you probably remember. We thought white meat was the good meat, right? Mm-hmm. Uh, chicken's okay. And anything that's red meat isn't, but white meat is the good meat. Um, and then a few years later, I came across diet for new America. And that was probably my defining moment. I read that book. And so for people, for people that don't know that the author was John Robbins. Yes. Yes. Thank you for filling that in. Yes. And you know, the whole concept, that book just opened my eyes in, in many dimensions, not just my diet for health, but also what was going on with animal agriculture and what we're doing to the environment, of course. And for me, it started as health because initially I wanted to lose weight, um, which once dairy and meat were out of my diet, that happened fairly naturally. But also I was in university and my joints were bothering me as a, you know, a 20 year old, I was having joint discomfort. I had gout. <laughs> mm-hmm. So it's, you know, and, and I thought what's going on with my body that this is happening at this young age. So when I got dairy out of my diet, especially, I just felt like, wow, everything was moving differently. My body felt better. So for me, the health component was very obvious. Um, and then later I read Dr. Colin Campbell's uh, China study. Yeah. And that really helped me, especially with having children, uh, because it's one thing to do the diet for yourself. And then another thing when you're responsible for these little beings in the world, and it feels like a very, you know, overwhelming and also awesome responsibility, but to know that you're doing the right thing and something just inside me felt like, yes, this is solidified, but of course I had to research. So I was pulling up resources that I could at the time. It was still early. My first daughter was born in 2001. Mm -hmm. So there wasn't much online, right? There was no Facebook. (laughs) 
uh, PCRM was just starting to come onto the scene uh, a few years later. So I was pulling resources wherever I could. Becoming Vegan by Brenda Davis, Vasanta Molina was like my my book I'd read after, well, baby visits and cry into and <laughs> that kind of thing. So, but I think that was really my defining moment was Diet for New America. And I, I transitioned over a period of a few years. Mm-hmm. Yeah. Yeah. Diet for a New America. And then uh, what China study, I think came out in 2005, if I'm not mistaken. Right. And you refer to him, I think in your cookbook, your new cookbook, we'll talk about here in a sec. As kind of what the nutrition god, your nutritional godfather. <laughs> yeah, I have a real soft spot in my heart for for him. I just feel like whenever I listen to him speak, uh, there's there's such wisdom, but also compassion yeah. and authenticity. You know, um, and I I felt like when I was reading that book, um, there was no going back. There's just no turning back after reading that. And it was a very scientific book. Like it was not an easy read, uh, but the the information, the science was there. And I thought, no, there's there's just more to this than people see. And it was considered so radical. I feel like having children in that time um, as well, uh, I felt at times like I was doing something, I was being viewed as doing something not just odd, but a little dangerous. Maybe a little irresponsible. Yeah. Right. Yeah. 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 So, well, I'd guess, love to. I'd love yeah. to actually talk about that here just in a sec. But no, those are those are two um, really mammoth books that influenced so many people. Between John's Diet for New America, that has sold somewhere over two million copies, and then Collins, mm-hmm. the China study, mm-hmm. that again also has sold over two million copies. Um, you know, it's it's really we're so lucky to have both those books that have helped kind of, you know, part the, part the seas and uh, leave a wake for, for many of us to, to follow in. Yeah. Yeah. So you've got, so I want to backtrack for a sec. So your family, you got five sisters. Where do you, where do you fall in line? <laughs> I'm the fifth sisters? and we're all D's. <laughs> we're all really? D's. Yeah. I don't N- know name, what my parents name them. Name okay, so me. it's Debbie, Donna, Diane, Denise, Drina, Dale. I like wow. my name the best. Yeah, wow. I think mine's. <laughs> now, Dale is Dale. That's a boy. It, no, yeah. well, no. it's often a boy's name, but hers is spelled D-A-Y-L-E. So oh, it's, oh. uh-huh, uh-huh. Very creative. Yeah, yeah I, I think, you know, my my parents, I, if they had had another four children, it would still be all girls. And I have three girls, so it's it's kind of, you know. It's, I guess it's not, it's not so much in the family, but I feel like that's all I ever knew. Right. Yeah. And, and as a mom, yeah. I, I know. Yeah. Um, and what, what are your daughter's names? Do they all begin with D? No, I did not take that route. One, I think we have one daughter with us, the same name. Actually, my youngest is Hope. Um, I think, oh, wow. Yeah. Yours youngest is Hope. Correct? My youngest yeah. is Hope too. Yeah. 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 And then my oldest is Charlotte and the middle girl is Bridget. Oh, that's nice. Uh-huh. Yeah. And where, where did you grow up? St. John's, Newfoundland, which is, if you Google Newfoundland, it's this island out in the Atlantic Ocean on the very east coast of Canada. So wow. it's, uh, we moved to Vancouver, I'm not in Vancouver, but the Vancouver area in British Columbia. Uh, we moved in our 20s, my husband and I, um, the climate in Newfoundland is pretty harsh. The people are lovely, but the climate's harsh because it's right out in the ocean. So it gets everything. <laughs> oh my gosh. And, and you yeah. were there from what, from when to when? Um, from, yeah, from my birth to, I uh, moved, we actually moved out here, moved back 
to Newfoundland, moved back out here. So um, until about I was 29 when we moved um, permanently back here, 28, actually 28. And uh, yeah, the, the climate's pretty rough, but the people are beautiful there. Uh, so, but, you know, growing up there, uh, not just very meat centric, but not a great availability of uh-huh. produce. Almost everything was canned growing up. Like if we had peaches, they were canned or canned corn. Um, the type of vegetables that grow there are really hearty root vegetables, you know, mm-hmm. turnip and carrot and potatoes. And so we ate a lot of um, a lot of meat and processed foods. And you've probably never heard of cod tongues, but that was something we ate a lot growing up. <laughs> uh, is that like a, t- a tongue from a fish? <laughs> actual what? tongue in the cod's tongue cod is a it's it's the big uh was the um in newfoundland that was how people lived for many years was the fishing industry and so cod is was the abundant fish and we would use all parts so cod tongues are the tongue and it's battered and fried it's repulsive to me but that's what i didn't we know i didn't know that fish had tongues right <laughs> I didn't, you know, it's one of those disconnect moments that I had all growing up. I was like, I'm eating cod tongues. And then one day I went, what are these actually tongues? Mm-hmm. And, and what's the size of your average cod tongue that uh, gets battered well, and fried? Is it like the size of your thumb? Uh, a little bigger. Some are mm-hmm. smaller, but I'd say about the size of um, maybe your big toe. Let's say that. <laughs> okay. Yeah. They're, they're kind of nasty and we ate liver, which, you know, was one of the worst foods to eat as a child. We used oh, to yeah. slather it and catch up. Um, but we made, you know, my mom would make use of everything, right. That, that we could in terms of, um, using yeah. animal yeah. foods. Yeah. Mm-hmm. So you moved, you moved when you were 29, then, uh, mm-hmm. out to like Vancouver area. Is that right? Right. Where, you know, all the hippies are. <laughs> oh my God. I, I mean, I've been to Vancouver probably half a dozen times and it, it truly is one of the most beautiful places on the planet between the mountains and the ocean mm. and uh, the greenery. It's, it's spectacular. It is beautiful out here and it's always green. That's what I love. I like yeah. all through the year it's green. Uh, we get plenty of rain, but at least it's, you know, pretty temperate climate. Um, and when we moved out here, it really opened up my world for eating plant-based um, because coming from St. John's, a small town, there wasn't much available and, and just awareness and openness, right? People being willing to, to hear about it. It was very narrow at the time. Mm-hmm. Mm-hmm. Uh, and then moving out West, people were already into that lifestyle to some degree, not greatly, but to some degree. Mm-hmm. And so uh to me, it was the place to start. That's where I began writing my first cookbook. It was actually after my um, father-in-law had a heart attack Mm. and his doctor in Newfoundland at the time recommended Dr. Dean Ornish's program for reversing heart disease, which I think, I think his book was probably out before your dad's. Oh yeah, it was. Uh, It was. Yes. Yes. And so it was quite a, um, a rarity, right. To, to hear this from a doctor, cardiologist, in this small town back in the nineties. And, um, his parents came to us cause we were already eating vegan and they said, what do we do? Like, wow. we don't know how to eat plant-based and they asked for recipes. So that's when I started to create recipes 
because I was already dabbling in food and people would say, Hey, you know, when you talk about your, you know, making vegan food, you really seem to light up. And, um, I was working in the marketing field, but just not enjoying it. Right. So I, I was happy to dive into it, but then I started to sketch out recipes for them to move into the diet. Yeah. So, so you're Canadian, mm-hmm. obviously. Yeah. I love Canadians. Some of my best friends are Canadians. They are such, um, I find just humble and just authentic, wonderful people. Truly. Um, what, what did he, so your family, meaning, you know, your, your parents, your mm-hmm. five sisters, what do they think of this lifestyle that mm. you've kind of embraced now for God, 25 to 30 years? And are they supportive of it? I love this question. Um, no one has asked me this over the years, you know, uh, my, my mother never gave me a hard time. My mother's a very kind, um, you know, open person. My sisters never, they never gave me a hard time, but they weren't particularly uh, interested in it. You know, they just kind of continued on their way. My dad passed when I was 11 and I think he would have loved it because Mm. he was one that was going to a chiropractor before it was commonplace to go to a chiropractor. He was interested in, you know, alternative medicine and therapies. He was quite an adventurer and he used to to do a lot of different sports, scuba dive and that kind of thing. Um, But he passed when I was 11. And so I I sort of feel like if he was alive, he would have been the one to be very into this. Um, And I know no one in my family has jumped on it though. Like it reminds me of, Dr. Barnard speaking about his family and how no one's <laughs> after all his books still hasn't adopted the diet. Interestingly, my mother would come visit us in Vancouver and um, she'd stay with us for like a month and eat our diet. And my mom was always um, carrying extra weight, uh, mm-hmm. which is also why she did diets with me because it was like a mom and daughter thing to do, which, Hey, that was fun. <laughs> yeah, yeah. <laughs> Thanks mom. Um, but uh, she would come stay with us. And at the end of a month, she'd return home having lost, I'm not kidding, like over 10 pounds mm-hmm. and feeling better, but just not able to stick with it herself. It just sort of speaks to the community of having either having community with you or just a really um, stiff backbone in a way to have the fortitude to, to do it yourself, you know? Yeah. Is she still over in Newfoundland? She is. Yeah. She's, um, she's 83. So she's Mm -hmm. been on her own for a long time. She's kind of, you know, hanging in there. Um, she still has a lot of weight on, unfortunately, but she's, you know, very kind and loving and, and has a lot of people that love her. So I'm happy that she's got a lot of people around her. So do you find, do you find your sister's Mm. are are they curious do they ask you questions are they like wow you know Darina you just written your sixth (laughs) book I mean you are crushing it girl way to go sister or uh, do you not get that kind of support and interest no, I don't, unfortunately. Um, uh-huh. I mean, I have one sister in Newfoundland who who says, you know, oh my gosh, I'm so proud of you. Like, look what you did. But our, my sister relationships are very strained, I'll mm-hmm. say. Um, when my dad passed, it was a helicopter crash and it really sort of tore apart our family in ways. Um, we mm-hmm. had a lot of stuff going on with the family business and um, a lot of unsettled things happening with six girls in, you know, my mom was on her own at that time. And my 
Um, I also had three cousins that were with my dad. Oh, gosh. Mm -hmm. And so my aunt lost three of her four children that day. So it was, um, it it broke our family apart in many ways. And then we were just kind of struggling, you know, a lot of teenage things happening. We had, um, sounds really weird when I say this, but in the day we had someone who would look in our windows, you know, the, the, the term would be voyeur, but we called it a peeping Tom. And so there was a lot of like, um, trauma. Mm at the time. And so our family just kind of did our best to, to do things, but amongst it, just a lot of fighting and hurt emotions. And I think in ways we never got past a lot of that. So I have like somewhat good relations with one or two, and then just kind of um, sort of keeping it pleasant with the, with the remaining ones, if you know what I mean. Yeah. 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 Totally get it. Totally get it. Yeah. And then this is my, my last question. No, I, I love you it. Your, I love you it. and your sisters, you know, yeah. I'm just fascinated with, <laughs> with, with, with families and, you know, mm-hmm. the, the whole dynamics there. Um, what's the age gap between oh. the oldest and the youngest? Yeah. So my oldest sister is now 63. I'm 50. And then my youngest is 40, uh, 44. She's six years younger than me. 44. 63 mm-hmm. to 44. So that's almost a night. That's a 19 year gap. Yeah. My yeah. mom, I, I, I just, she had, yeah, I don't know how she did it. She was either <laughs> pregnant or actually she wasn't breastfeeding. Cause in those days they didn't breastfeed. We all had um, canned carnation milk with water. Um, that's yeah. what we drank because again, that was the era when breastfeeding was discouraged and I don't know. So uh, yeah. Uh, but she, I don't know how she did it really. I have three and I'm like, Oh my gosh. (laughs) Yeah. Yeah. Mm. Well, and then you've raised, I mean, so you've got three children. I've got three children. Yours are Mm -hmm. older than mine. Mine are seven, 12 and 14. Okay. What are your oldest is 20. Is that right? 2016 and 12, 2016 and 12. So you still have two at home. That's nice. Three at home, three, three at home. home. Yeah, the twenty-year-old is at home too. I know. That's why they're always, as we joked about earlier, or someone's always in the yeah. kitchen because she's working full time, back and forth at different hours, working uh, different shifts. And then the middle girl, um, she's well, she's in school full time, and the youngest as well. But last year, with everything yeah. happening with the pandemic, she was out for. She'd go to school for like an hour and a half, and then be back home. And there was always people in and out. So, yeah. so you were, so you raised. What is it fair to? say you've raised all three children 100% plant-based for the most part in the early days when they were um when they were young and uh the first daughter and the second my second girl breastfed for almost two years my first did not like she weaned herself um and so I knew that having DHA was important and I added yeah I added some fish oil to her diet and for a period of time some goat milk just because I was you know didn't know what else to do um but after that um everything was plant-based yeah yeah and um and are they are they into it? Are they like, yeah. you know, proud to be plant plant-based and you know, totally, I think you really, you, re, you really like the term vegan, right? I like the term plan strong, you know, Colin Campbell likes plant-based everybody, <laughs> everybody's kind of got their, yeah. you know, their, their own way of calling it. Um, but I think for you, um, you know, I, I, well, look at your brand, right? I mean, you've written six mm-hmm. books and, and mm-hmm. uh, let's see, Every the first four all have the word vegan in them. 
Yes. Yeah. And then I started to shift because I felt like it's interesting because when you're in this sphere, as you know, those labels mean a big deal, right? Mm -hmm. Um, And I, it's interesting because I remember when I came out with Plant Powered Families, which which was my last book, I had someone say, why aren't you calling it vegan? And I thought I've had my first um, four titles had vegan in them, but people are really attached to the label. But I wanted to open up my work to people who didn't feel like Mm-hmm. They maybe gave that label to themselves because I know a lot of people feel like it's a big responsibility to take on because it's far more than just diet. It's your whole lifestyle, right? Um, so um, with my subsequent books, I wanted to, to kind of open it up, use vegan in the subtitle um, to remind people that, yes, it's vegan, but kind of open it up to beyond that, that scene so everyone knows that, you know, you can shift into this diet no matter where you are. Yeah. Yeah. Well, and just so the audience knows, I mean, your first book was called The Everyday Vegan, and that was in 2001. Mm-hmm. And then you had Vive la Vegan. Is that how you pronounce it? Vive? Vive, Vive la, la Vegan. vegan. Yeah. Vive la Vegan. Yeah. Right. <laughs> and then Eat, Drink, and Be Vegan. Mm-hmm. Mm-hmm. <laughs> then Let Them Eat Vegan. And then The Plant Powered Families. And then the new book that I really want to talk about with you uh, today, <clears throat> today, Drina's Kind Kitchen. Mm-hmm. Um, you know, and you use, you use the word kind, and I want you to talk about why you use the word kind and why that's the, the, the title. But before I just want to say that, you know, your first four books, you know, all had the word vegan. And when you look at, and you even use this, this language in your book, but when you look at the standard American diet, what does it do? It, uh, it, it, it promotes health liabilities. It promotes animal cruelty and it promotes environmental tolls. I mean, you know, <laughs> so that to me is a big check mark for, hey, let's whatever you want to call it, vegan, exactly. plant powered, yeah. Yeah. plant strong, plant based. Let, let's get on board and create a, a better, kinder world. So yeah. this new book, what was behind this one? Because I can't imagine how and I love to hear from you. How has your your mentality and your cooking evolved since 2001, when you wrote mm-hmm. your first book. Yeah, it really has evolved. I look back at that book and even the cover was so like, <laughs> so of the, of the era. Yeah. Um, I, you know, first off I began to use, um, well, I've always used whole foods because when I became vegan uh, or plant-based, there were no veggie mm-hmm. meats, right? There was no vegan yogurt or anything, it was hard to find a plant-based milk. Um, We had one little grocery store, not even a grocery store, health food store that, you know, you walked into and, and there were vats of almond butter and you'd scoop it out and put it (laughs) in a tub. And that was the day that's, you know, so I've always cooked with whole foods, but when I look back at that first book, um, I think my, my, my cooking has evolved in two ways. Well, first I, I took oil out of the recipes, even though I wasn't using much then because I was designing recipes at the time to help my parents-in-law as well. And so I knew they needed a low fat, mm. you know, diet. They had yeah. to have a low fat diet. They couldn't use oil in their salad dressings. They couldn't right. add oil. So in general, and, I used as little as I could. And that's based upon the information you got from reading Dean Ornish's book. Right. Exactly. Yeah. And um, so I, with, after Let Them Eat Vegan, I was learning more about removing oil from the diet just because of, you know, being in this arena and hearing about, 
extracted oils and how we don't need them because for a very long time we heard we needed them, not just, okay, no, they're fun to use in cooking, but that we really needed them. Um, and I'd be drizzling olive oil over my kids' food and <laughs> all their clothes were ruined. You know, when you get oil on your clothes, it's ruined. Um, but uh, my my cooking is also like I started to take out some of the substitutes that were in some recipes I'd rely on, like vegan cream cheese and eat, drink, and be vegan. Um, so I started to take those things out and just get right back to the basics no oil back to the basics, but I also simplified my techniques because first off, when I was developing recipes way back, I didn't have kids. So I had all this time on my hands to like saute this and then move to this step. And then let's add this. Now I want to put everything in the food processor (laughs) or into a casserole dish. And I know that that's where people are coming from for the most part, whether you have a family or you're just busy working and you want to get meals on the table quick, I found ways to streamline my cooking processes so that it's faster and more efficient for people. So I think that's probably the biggest component. And I really use items to um, help bring texture and flavor and color into recipes, not to hide veggies, but to bring them in for that purpose. Like if I'm using sweet potato in a recipe, it adds flavor, that's color, it adds moistness, but I'm not hiding it but I Mm. use it to bring the best of what it has into a recipe. Well, so that's a great segue to, so I've looked at many of the recipes that are in Mm. this new cookbook and uh, you have a chocolate sweet potato cake Mm -hmm. or or maybe a vanilla one. Vanilla one. Mm -hmm. Oh, right. Do you use sweet potato in that one? Yeah, because in Plant Powered Families, I had a chocolate sweet potato cake where I used orange sweet potato in the frosting and in the cake. And that recipe just has become like so loved by people. It's their kind of go-to cake. But I had a lot of uh, readers say, hey, I can't use cocoa because some people cannot eat it, whatever, you know, allergies. And I said, you know, I'm going to try to develop a vanilla version. So I used white sweet potatoes or yellow sweet potatoes, which I think in the US they're called Hana and Japanese. Mm, Perhaps we call them yellow sweet potatoes in Canada. So, um, and I use that in the cake and the frosting. Right, right. Mm -hmm. And then just so people can see it, I mean, here it is. There you are, Adrena, doing your thing in the kitchen. (laughs) Adrena's kind kitchen and a hundred plus whole food, vegan recipes to enjoy every day. Uh, I think another another recipe you have in there that uses uh, sweet potatoes is your your patented love loaf. Is that right? Uh, the oh the um, the sweet potato lentil loaf. Yeah, I think so. Okay, yeah. yeah, I think the I had a I know which one you're talking about. The love loaf was from an earlier book, um, Let Them Eat Vegan. Okay, and, okay, and yeah, and but that was one of those recipes that I felt like it took a little time. It took me a little too much time to make that loaf, and I wanted yeah. to find a way to make it easier and just simplify it. So that's what I did with this book. Plus I added sweet potato to it, which is really good. Well, sweet potato then, makes everything good. <laughs> but I, I love the way you're looking to, you're not trying to hide or disguise, you know, the vegetables or the fruits you're using, but you want to like enhance, enhance the texture and the flavor mm-hmm. and the color. So for example, you have beyond beet burgers. Mm-hmm. Yeah. And I love the way you're kind of, you know, Point off beyond, <laughs> beyond meat burgers, beyond beet. Mm-hmm. Uh, what can you tell me about that recipe? Well, first off, I don't like beets, and that's partly why <laughs> I created the recipe. I'm I'm one of those people that feels like beets taste like dirt. Yep. 
kind They're of very like earthy. Yeah. Very earthy. Some people feel like cilantro tastes like soap. And I think you have that taste bud thing, right? And for me, I don't love beets. And I thought I want to create something that I will eat beets. And and this was when Beyond Meat did come out and it was getting all kinds of buzz. And I bought one and tried it. And I was like, this is too airy for me. When I cooked it, I felt like I was thrown back into my childhood years yeah. <laughs> and smelling. It could really, really brought back that moment for me of, you know, that where my mom would be cooking meat, I almost felt like that was what it was. It was very freaky for me. And I thought, no, I want to create something that is using beet. And I just had that idea to play with the title beyond beet. And so I use raw beet and raw carrots in that recipe. And it's pureed up with black beans and mm. some brown rice and all kinds of good seasonings and some umami ingredients, which um, you know, umami is that like extra flavor element that sometimes people are feel are, is missing in plant-based yeah. cooking, but it's like the tamari and the miso and sun-dried tomatoes and olives, all those like really yeah. um, deeply tasty foods and include that in there. And when you see the patty, it does look a little bit like a raw meat patty. So it's <laughs> to me was a bit like beyond meat, yeah. but it cooks up much differently. So, and well, I, I want to try those this week. Um, and all these recipes in this book, are they, is it fair to say they're oil-free? They are. They do include some coconut products, oh. not all of them, but some do. So when I'm working yeah. with desserts and I want to create like a luscious texture, I'll yeah. use coconut milk or some coconut butter, which yeah. I know a lot of people don't want to use. So, you know, those recipes aren't going to be ones that they can yeah. really enjoy. Right. But they're for treats like a cheesecake. But in terms of the basic day-to-day recipes, your soups your casseroles, your salad dressings, I have a lot of oil-free dressings, everything else. Yes. It's all oil-free. It's just that some include coconut products, which I know some people don't yeah. like use. Mm-hmm. Is it you now? Do you have nuts in the in the book? Yes, but I try to give a lot of nut-free options. So, yeah. and that's partly why I'm using coconut as well, because um, you know I've created many cheesecakes, for instance, over the years, and yeah. using cashews. But I have a lot of readers who are moms, and, and nut allergies are ever present. I think everyone is operating with some low-key form of leaky gut syndrome in our society with all of the food sensitivities we have. So, and I have one good friend who's been a reader of mine for many years and her little guy has all kinds of food sensitivities. So I was like, I'm Mm. going to create you a cheesecake. I want to get this cheesecake just for you. And I'll put it in my book, but really it's for you. And that's the one that's in this book. And it uses um, coconut products and sweet potato in there again, yellow sweet potato. Mm. Um, Mm. And like I do a nut-free queso because queso and cheesy dips are usually made with cashew. So I make mine with pumpkin seeds and you wouldn't know. It's really. Wow. Wow. So you make a queso. What else do you have in there besides pumpkin seeds in your queso? Potato. Potato. Potato, Yeah. And um, it's mostly pumpkin seeds, potato, plant-based milk. Um, and then I, I work with the seasonings, like some lemon juice, a little bit of nutritional yeast, but not a lot because sometimes I find people overdo it and all you're tasting is nutritional yeast. So I just use a little bit for background flavor. Mm -hmm. Nice. Nice. So one of the, one of your recipes that you have is wow, um, waffles. (laughs) It's one of our, one of our favorite Sunday morning recipes are waffles. We make one called Zeb's waffles. It's something that my brother came up, came up with, and it's just so simple and so awesome. But I'm wondering what makes your waffles, what makes them wow? And then how do you, how do you do waffles without, or maybe you don't, but without oil. 
Yeah. Um, I, I just like playing with recipe names and I have really goofy ones over the years. So I just yeah. wanted to go like, wow, and waffles only because when you make a waffle and yeah. those waffle irons, they look so spectacular, right? Yeah, they do. They really do. They're far more impressive than pancakes. And I do have like a fluffy pancake recipe in the book and they are very fluffy, but there's something about pulling out one of those waffles and they're quite big and they mm-hmm. just look you know, wonderful. So I wanted to say, wow, and waffles, but um, these do not have oil. So I use some um, almond meal in that recipe and, um, or is it almond meal? I have to double check. I have a pumpkin. Sometimes I forget rip, you know, after like 500 or so recipes. You've only got, yeah. (laughs) Um, I have, uh, I feel like those are nut free for some reason. I do have a pumpkin waffle as well that I did for the book, but it's in the ebook. Um, yes, no, they do have almond meal, but I do give a nut-free option in the recipe. So the almond meal helps add that whole foods fat yep. that brings that texture, almost like that eggy texture to the waffle. And um, they're also sweetened with some banana in there. So I don't add, I don't add sugar or yep. sweetener to my pancakes either. Cause I feel like you always put mm-hmm. maple syrup on them. So why add sugar? Yeah. 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 <laughs> well, so do you use, do you have a special waffle maker that, that is kind of, uh, you know, stickless or. Yes. Yeah. Yes. Yeah. Yes. And you know, if people are making waffles out there, always, uh, keep that surface, not with like, don't put oil on it because I've heard from a lot of my readers who yeah. have, you know, if even just a wipe of oil, it somehow ruins that nonstick surface for waffles. And then it's, you're doomed. Do you have a particular waffle maker that you, you suggest? Mm, I've been using the Breville uh, or actually I think it's pronounced Breville. I, uh-huh. uh, Breville. Uh, well, we'll, maker. we'll, we'll look that up and we'll put it in the show okay. notes for people. Okay. That sounds like a good one. I'm just, I'm constantly looking for the, for a good waffle maker. So I'll, I'll check mm-hmm. that out. Mm-hmm. Uh, the one that we have is just, it's on its last legs. It really is. We use does, it every, yeah. Oh, you use it like every week or Almost something? every Sunday. Oh. Yeah. Oh, cool. Yeah. See, Sundays were always pancake day in our house too. Like when the kids were young, I'd always yeah. eat pancakes on Sunday. It's kind of like that treat day of the week. So I know, I know where you're coming from. Yep. Yep. Yeah. So last night we did a, our kids love a, it's a to, just a tofu scramble that we make and it's got, you know, nutritional yeast and herbs and spices in there. Um, you know, and it's, it's substantial and hearty. I see that you've got a potato cauliflower scramble mm-hmm. that looks really good. And I'm always looking for, a, you know, an alternative to, to, to tofu and tempeh. So uh, what can you tell me about that recipe? I think you'll like that one. Definitely give that one a try. So um, for me, scrambles, whenever I'd have them in restaurants, they, you know, they'd be good, but they always had cumin in them. And for me, I wanted a scramble that was more like breakfasty rather than had that Southwest kind of flavor. So um, I wanted to make that recipe really appealing for people who love that morning savory breakfast. Um, And you do use a little bit of black salt in there, which gives that eggy, eggy. Uh, right. Yeah, definitely. And then the potato and cauliflower, I wanted to spread out because, you know, you can eat a lot of tofu in a scramble and it doesn't go very far. And when you have kids, you need to make these meals go further. So adding some potato and cauliflower not only makes it like it spreads it out, but also adds that extra, you know, veggies and nutrition in there. Yeah. Well, are you a fan of, of mushrooms? Have you incorporated mushrooms into your cooking at all? Yeah, I, I like them. 
And growing up, my kids didn't like them. They're now liking them, except for the youngest. She still doesn't. And I don't know if you notice that with kids, like they. Oh, just, yeah. Oh, yeah, yeah. Of course. Right. But they're not yeah. fans. No. Uh, greens as well. Like I found yeah. once they hit about 14, 15, then something changes with their palate yeah. and they start to open up to, to yeah. all of these foods that we've been presenting over the years. But I think that's the key is always presenting them. You know, the foundation is there yeah. for them. Well, um, and, and I think, you know, I'm really glad you brought that up because what I've discovered is the same thing. And I've seen it mm-hmm. with my brothers and my sister that have children that are now in their 20s. Yes. Is that, you know, they, they weren't a fan of some of the more like, you know, the green leafies and the mushrooms and squashes. And now it's like their palates have kind of caught up and they, they appreciate and they adore it. And so I'm not, yeah. so just for parents out there that are worried, I would say, you know what, just keep feeding them the way yeah. you're feeding them. And I think that their palates will, will come along exactly as you said, once they reach that 14, 15, Mark, my 14 year old. It's amazing how all of a sudden he's just blossomed. Yeah. Mm -hmm. And he's trying everything. It's so cool. It's like all of this groundwork that you've put in over the years is paying off. (laughs) It's wonderful. Yeah. And like my kids, people ask all the time, like, do they ever want to eat eat meat? That's never come up because they love their food. Like they really love their food. And now my middle girl who's 16, when she's home on the weekends, like at lunch hour, she gets into the kitchen and she's putting spinach into the saute pan and tomatoes and tofu. And I'm like, she's just, there was a time she would take greens and, and try to wipe all the dressing off them with a paper towel and then hide it under her plate. And <laughs> it was painful, but it really does open up in time. Yeah. Are your, your, your daughters, are they, do they enjoy cooking? Are they, do they enjoy it like you do? Um, probably not as much as I do, but like the, our, like I said, our middle daughter, Bridget, she'll often make her yeah. own food and she makes her own lunches and just kind of like brings, I find having everything in, available in the fridge in terms of batch cooking is very yeah. useful though for them. Right. So I'll have quinoa pre-made or rice pre-made some tofu already marinated in the, in the fridge, like baked and in the fridge in batches, um, some chickpeas roasted and in the fridge and sweet potatoes already pre-baked. So doing some of those batch cooking elements so that then they can get in and kind of pull it out and make what they want to make. Right. Um, my oldest daughter actually works at a plant-based cafe. So yeah, and she loves it there. Um, and so, uh, she doesn't cook as much because she's when she gets home, she's just pretty wiped serving people and everything, but they, they, you know, they enjoy it. And then my youngest will get in with me sometimes. What's the name of the plant-based restaurant that she works at? Oh, it's called grounds and greens. Uh Yeah. It's in this, uh, it's a cute little cafe, really nice bowls and, um, nice, nice, comfy, cozy drinks. And yeah. Mm -hmm. So what are you just, you just talked about some, some preparation with batch cooking that you can do to kind of make it a little bit more accessible. Mm. What are, what, what are a couple other little tips and suggestions you would have for people that are kind of starting out and mm. trying to make this as the word I, that you used earlier that I really like as streamlined as possible. Mm-hmm. Mm-hmm. Yeah. Well, a couple of things that I do when I do a big produce shop, so yeah. I'll bring everything home and I take what I know I'm going to be using within the run of a few days and get it all washed. Cause I wash all my produce, even before the pandemic, I always wash produce. Uh, and how do you, how do you do that? Do you have a method? 
pretty simple. Fill up the sink, put in a, just a couple of drops of natural dish soap and get it all in there and give it a bath <laughs> and just, just put it in. You don't need to scrub it, but just a, a, a gentle wash and then rinse. And then it all goes in my dish drainer. So my dish drainers almost always has some produce mm. in it. Um, and uh, which is, I, I think back to when my mom used to use her dishwasher to ripen fruit. Um, with six kids, she, she always found a dishwasher was like too time consuming. Yeah, <laughs> I don't know yeah, why. Yeah. So she used to put her fruit in there to write, oh, so you'd open her dishwasher <laughs> and you'd always see fruit in there. Um, yeah. It made sense though. So my dish drainer is always full of fruit that I've washed and then it's ready for, you know, chopping or snacking, getting into recipes. So that's one thing that I, I kind of offer to people is to take yeah. that it takes literally five minutes mm. um, and you get it in there and, and it's just a little bit of food safety because it passes a lot of hands, right? Yeah. And yeah. it really does. And then the other thing is to think about, you know, when you're cooking grains, don't cook just what you need that night, cook enough for a couple other meals so that you have it in the fridge. So rice, quinoa, same if you're cooking beans, lentils, um, anything that you can batch cook and freeze. So whenever I make hummus, I do the maximum amount that my food processor can take because hummus freezes beautifully. And I never knew that you can freeze hummus. <laughs> Everyone says that to me. Yes. Yes. Wow. And yeah. And so I will do, I've got like a 16 cup food processor, which is on the bigger. Oh, I see side. it. I see it behind you. Yeah. Big guy. <laughs> Um, and, uh, that one, I can usually do like a quadruple batch of hummus in there. And then I portion it out and say two cup portions. And then that goes into the fridge. You can take it out and thaw it the night before in the fridge or put it in a hot water bath and thaw it within like an hour or half hour. So, um, nut cheeses, same thing. You can freeze nut cheeses. So if you're making say some cashew cheese, which is a lot cheaper to make at home than to purchase, uh, you can make smaller uh, portions and freeze that. And same with soaking nuts. So you can soak a batch of, say, cashews and then portion that out and put it in the freezer. Mm. So things like that. And sweet potatoes and potatoes. I always have those in my fridge because mm. I love to use them in my recipes. Mm. Mm -hmm. um, and maybe you said this, but <clears throat> what about beans? Do you like making your own beans? I would love to cook all beans from scratch, but I there's only so much food prep I can do as one person. Right. Yeah. So I don't, I use canned beans for the most part, except for lentils. I don't find canned lentils taste mm -hmm. great. In fact, any canned bean, when you make them yourself, they do taste better, especially chickpeas. They taste fresher. They're much mm -hmm. nicer for hummus. You just have a much fresher natural taste on them. Um, but we buy, you know, organic BPA free canned beans just for convenience. Yeah. Like most people. Mm -hmm. Yeah. 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 Um, <clears throat> what about, so one of the things that I've, I've been doing lately is I actually take a tub of tofu and I'll mm. throw it in the freezer and it completely mm -hmm. changes the texture of it. Totally. Have you ever, have, have you ever done that with tofu? Yeah. It's, it's, it's like Jekyll it, it, and Hyde. They're like no. two different things. <laughs> no, It's a different animal. <laughs> yes. It, yeah. Yeah. Yes, and it, yeah, go ahead. <laughs> yeah, it, it, because all the all the liquid comes out of it, and it's almost like it becomes spongy. Yeah, and it's weird to say that, but it then will absorb all the marinade. So if you want to yeah. put a really good marinade in it, you thaw it out, and then 
uh, get it, marinate it, bake it, grill it, whatever. And it literally soaks up everything. Yeah. You know, I think that's the perfect description. It becomes like a big tofu sponge. <laughs> yeah. 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 <clears throat> you don't really, need to, yeah. yeah. You don't need yeah. to press it or anything because a lot of people want to press tofu to get the liquid out, but that takes time and it's, it's an extra step really. That's, you know, time consuming. Whereas if you freeze it, it's yeah. 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 Do you have a favorite, um, grain that you like making mm, whether it's brown rice amaranth mm. millet uh, pearl barley mm. farro um I, I know in our house it's it's brown rice but you know my my mom right now is so excited about farro me too uh, yeah yeah you know it's it's like you know brown rice on steroids or something <laughs> Something about, I, I, I have had the same discovery with Faro in the past few months. I really love it. And I don't know if my family loves it as much, but I prefer like, or they will prefer brown rice or just, you know, any kind of rice they like, but I really love myself eating quinoa and Faro. I love Faro too, but something about hot quinoa, when you first cook quinoa, it's not quite as special once it's been refrigerated, yep. but when it's hot and you take it out and you can just put like a little bit of tamari and a drizzle yeah. tahini on there. Mm -mm. Yeah. It's nice, nice and fluffy. Yeah. 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 But I, I hear you. Rice is kind of like the go-to. Yeah. Yeah. And, and these days, frankly, you know, they make them frozen. You just throw them in the, you know, the, the stove top or in the microwave for two minutes and you got your brown rice. Yeah. So it's kind of ridiculous yeah. like that. The other thing that I'm a big fan of is barley. I, I, I also like barley. Mm -hmm. It's got more of a kind of a, a nutty earthy kind of flavor to it. And it's kind of chewy, right? It's, yes. it's got yes. the substantial kind of quality yep. to it. Uh-huh. That was a grain that we ate a lot growing up actually. And, and I don't remember eating a lot of grains, but my mom would put that one in soups. It's a yep. very good soup grain. Mm -hmm. Yep. So one of the, one of the tricks I want you to talk about, um, or I should say techniques. And I saw this in a video you did in 2014 when you were wearing oh my God. one of, one of the engine to oh. herbiv herbivore, herbivore rhino, yes. it was the rhino t-shirts that, that we were, we were making. And you did something with a collared <laughs> collard green and you're making collard wraps it was i've never seen it before will you will you tell the audience <laughs> i, <laughs> I love how you brilliant. saw was... that that's so funny yeah. okay so i i in my attempts to skip steps and not dirty dishes and pots yeah. and pans i did not want to steam greens in a steamer pot or anything else so instead i took the leaf opened up the top of my kettle put it down while the kettle's boiling and let the steam steam the collard leaf <laughs> as the water was boiling in the kettle. Boom, done. <laughs> yeah. And you show people how to kind of de-stem it and then you roll uh -huh. everything up in there. It looked, it looked, it looked incredible. I wanted to run home and, <laughs> and have those for, <clears throat> for lunch. There have been a few times though, that some of the greens fell in the kettle. And then later I'd make a tea and I'm like, oh, that's not yeah. nice. <laughs> that green is still in there and it's now gray, but it's yeah. a great little tip. So speaking of tea, do you have a beverage of choice that you like drinking during the day? 
I'm, I love teas. I drink a lot of herbal teas in the afternoon. I'm not, I can't drink coffee. I'm one of those people that it really upsets my stomach mm-hmm. and I never really enjoyed it. I love a good chai tea in the morning yep. and I love to make my own matcha lattes. I just use uh, matcha green tea powder and, and use plant milk and steam it up and, and make my own lattes. I love those and it later in the morning too. Lovely. Lovely. Mm-hmm. So Drina Burton, if you <clears throat> Had to pick one breakfast, one lunch, and one dinner that you had to have for the next year. Oh, gosh. What would it be? Oh, my gosh. That is really hard. I. I am, I am not a big breakfast person. So I love my green smoothies. I have them every day in the morning. So I would probably say still my green smoothie. I love it. Um, And lunch. Oh, um, I like a good quinoa bowl with um, steamed hot quinoa with steamed kale, lots of tahini, lemon juice. This sounds really dull, right? I'm not saying no, but, no but remember this, you got, <laughs> if you're going to have it for a year, you got to kind of keep it, you know, simple and yeah. flavorful and yeah. Yeah. Okay. So sweet potatoes have to be in there with, there's some, something magical about kale and sweet potatoes and a hot green together. Like they seem to be made for each other. So some sweet potatoes, maybe yeah. roasted sweet potatoes, cause they're especially good, nice and caramelized. Um, and then some tahini dressing on there, or I have this new Buddha dressing in my, Ooh. Book, which I'm loving. I'm loving that one. Can you tell me what that is? You know what the ingredients yeah, are? Yeah, yeah, totally. So it's a it's for people who love nooch. Um, it's got nutritional yeast in it, apple cider vinegar, tamari, maple syrup, a little bit of garlic, a little bit mm. of mustard, and it just has that again that umami quality where you just say, mm, like Ooh. I just want more of that dressing on the kale, on the quinoa. All right. And then for dinner, oh, you know, maybe that is that's really hard. I I'm always into different things for dinner. Oh gosh, I'm going to say either a curry carrot lentil soup, which I love it's in the book. And I, it's one of my favorite soups. It's just really comforting. And it just sort of hits that like comforting yeah. spot or maybe a pizza with lots of roasted vegetables. Cause I love roasted veggies too. And ice cream, ice cream is my favorite treat in the world. So if I ever have to pick a dessert, it's ice cream. And, yeah. and what kind of ice cream? Um, I like, is this homemade? Is this homemade or is this Ben and Jerry's? No, I don't always make homemade. I used to, but it's, you know, it takes time, right? Um, there's a few brands here that make some really nice uh, mm. cashew and coconut blend um, yeah. ice creams. And so I like a nice plain vanilla, but also I like um, chocolate with goodies in there, you know, little cookies and stuff like that. But yeah. I, I, I can eat a little, like I, over the years, I've learned that if I eat just a little, I enjoy it and I don't get feel like that sickliness or gorge yeah. myself, right? Some people have a harder time doing that. They eat, they eat it and then eat to excess, but I can just eat a little bit and go, mm. <laughs> quite happy with that. So, yeah. uh, but ice cream has been my thing. I used to call myself the Dairy Queen growing up. I loved it. I would yeah. go to Dairy Queen a lot. Yeah. 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 Um, you mentioned sweet potatoes is, is something for lunch. You, you have a recipe for croutons and you also have potato croutons. I've never yeah. heard of potato croutons before. How do you make potato croutons? Great question. So you start with pre-made, pre-cooked potatoes. So again, it's one of those batch cooking things, have them ready in the fridge. And I always have potatoes and sweet potatoes in the fridge. 
um, because I, I use them in these ways in recipes or just for, you know, toppers like this. So you cut the potato into small cubes and then I toss it in the very simple, um, it's kind of like a marinade, but not quite, but I use some aquafaba. So that helps to allow the seasonings to adhere to the potato and also helps them get a little bit crispy. And so you bake them up, um, until they get just crispy, but you still fork tender. Yeah. And then what do you throw those in salads? Yeah. But they don't usually make it to the salad when I have those in the (laughs) oven, all fingers, you know, all fingers are on the pan reaching. I'm like, wait, (laughs) stop, get out. But they're all at, at the croutons. Yeah. They seriously, they will just, I mean, potatoes, right. They're just the best. No, I know. And for the audience that doesn't know what aquafaba is, can you let them know what that is? Oh yeah. So that is the brine from a can of chickpeas or white beans. It could be any kind of beans, but really you want to go with white beans or chickpeas because then the liquid is not dark like it is with say kidney beans or black beans. And, and some magician scientist um, somewhere discovered that that liquid has the same qualities as egg whites. And so it can be whipped up into like a meringue, but also used in other cooking and baking purposes. So that's why I use it for like that kind of coating to help spices adhere. Yeah. Um, this book, it just came out, what, a couple of weeks ago, right? Mm. Two, three weeks ago? August 24th. Yeah. August 24th, number six. And you have a, you know, I always love looking at the dedications and this is to my mother whose strength of spirit is surpassed only by her kindness, mm-hmm. uh, which is really beautiful. Um, what, what, um, so how was your mother kind? My mom has been through like a lot, right? She, um, she grew up in a, in a household of nine kids and was the oldest girl. So was kind of expected to take care of a lot of the siblings as, as families did in that time. And, you know, she started working when she was 13, had to pay her mom board at that time. This just did not have an easy life. And my, my father and her kind of scraped everything together to start a business at the time. And then she lost, um, lost him and, you know, with young kids and um, had a second marriage and that didn't work out and had a hard time with, with that and has had, you know, health problems. And um, people have always come because she's kind. People have always come to her for things, but not always with pure intentions. Mm -hmm. Mm-hmm. And she gives of everything she can, she will give. So she's just that person that mm-hmm. everyone loves her. Like anyone that comes into her life loves her because she's just got this kind, mm-hmm. but also funny, a little bit sarcastic spirit. And she just would open up her home to anyone who wow. needed it. Yeah. Well, I can't imagine the strength of spirit that, that she has <clears throat> accumulated over her lifetime. And if that's mm-hmm. surpassed by her kindness, incredible. You know, well, you're very lucky to have a mother like that. I am. I am indeed. That's so nice of you to say. Yeah, I am. Oh, yeah. Yeah. Well, and then so the kind kitchen. I am. I'm super excited for you, Adrena. Thank you. Thank you so much. It's been yeah. so fun just chatting with you about everything. And Oh, yeah. Yeah, yeah, yeah. No, it's been great. And uh, so do you have any intentions of doing another book or what's is there, maybe you just finished this and you can't even think about it but is there what's the next thing for drina do you know the opposite is true i'm already thinking it's <laughs> terrible i don't know what it's i need intervention i think 
Uh, I've had a couple of ideas, either doing like an oil-free sauces and dressings book because people really want oil-free dressings and it's not easy to find dressings that you love in the stores, but making them is a whole different ballgame. But then I also had an idea of doing a book that maybe had like half recipes of very everyday kind of fare and then another half of fancier or more elegant when you want to entertain. And so that people have a little taste of both in the book. So they have kind of like the more everyday in that. So I'm bouncing ideas around, which I really should not be doing right now, but I've already been testing out recipes. So I think I need some intervention. (laughs) No, good for you. You've got it in the blood. And you know what? I think it's important if you're on a roll, keep that momentum going, Hmm. right? Hmm. Don't, uh, don't stop it. Go with it. Yeah. Especially- I mean, getting more great, tasty plant-based recipes out there to the world, that's not a bad thing. No, and that's the thing is, you know, it's sort of been my way of activism through the years. You know, I'm not, I I don't put myself out there for, uh, you know, the, the animal rights side of things. But I think if you show people what this food is, yeah. then you're doing a lot, right? Because if people can see that it tastes delicious and they're enjoying it and they're not feeling unsatisfied, uh, then you're showing them that there's a whole new way to live and yeah. it's a long-term, right? Long-term perspective. Absolutely. And I noticed that you also, you got a really nice forward by John Robbins, you know, yes. who really inspired you to, yes. uh, to this lifestyle. How easy or hard was it to get John to write that forward for you? I think uh, he's a so such a beautiful person. What a beautiful spirit. Like yeah. he was so welcoming to do it. He was extremely busy. So I was very lucky that he had time to write it. But, you know, it's one of those things that your life brings you in different directions. There was a period of time I was working with the Food Revolution Network yeah. for their yeah. whole uh, life club doing some of the recipes. And they had approached me, Ocean, and one of the coordinators approached me some years back to do that. And um, I had a really great experience working with them, lovely team of people. And I think it just helped open the door for me to ask John to write the Ford, which was such a gift. And I just think it was one of those things that, you know, the universe kind of carved that little path for me. Yeah. It was a really beautiful thing. John wrote a really nice forward. And um, yeah, I thought it was really interesting too. So he, he wrote a couple of things that I was not aware of, for example, that um this this report from global data it's a research firm showed that in 2014 only 1% mm-hmm. of us consumers were vegan but by 2017 just 3 years later that had jumped up to 6% a 600% increase and so i'd be really fascinated to know where we are now in 2021 because right. i bet you we're mm-hmm. now approaching that 10% mark which is the tipping point right i think so too we're right there yeah, which is super yeah. exciting. You can feel it, can't you? You like you can yeah. feel yeah. the change. Yeah. Oh, oh, it's yeah. oh, it's it's palpable. It yeah. Is, yeah, I love it. Yeah, and then I love the fact. So you know, you've got your four by John Robbins, and then you've got your your nice endorsement there by T. Colin Campbell. So you've got your two boys, right? <laughs> you got John Robbins and T. Colin. I mean, right on. It, 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 I I consider myself very fortunate in that regard. Indeed. Yeah. <laughs> yeah. 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 Uh, I just so want to meet them too. Right. I, I, I need to get to some, like just how we're only now meeting. Yeah. I have yeah. yet to meet either of them. And I hope one day, you know, I can get out into one of these conferences yeah. again. And like, like we did at one time, 
um, and, and meet some, some of, you know, yeah. Leaders. It'll happen. It'll happen. Yeah. Yeah. Um, so where, where can people go? Do you have an Instagram account or Mm -hmm. a, a website? Where can they go for more on Drina? Yeah, thanks. Uh, they can go to my site. So it's my name, Drina, double E, Burton.com. And I have a full page there on the book where they can learn about, you know, the specifics in the book, the kind of recipes, and then some of the additional chapters. I have lots of FAQs and batch prepping information. And then, yeah, I'm on all the the social madness, like most of us. I'm on Facebook and Instagram and all of that. <laughs> yeah, yeah. And these are beautiful photos. Really, really gorgeous. Thank you. I can't take credit. I'm not a photographer. I'm not a food photographer. So I I have someone doing that work for me. Thank heavens. Because that would drive me crazy. (laughs) It's too, too, it's too specific and perfect. Like people don't quite realize that the temperature has to be a certain way and, and, you know, elements have to be done at different times to make that photo come to life. So I'm glad I didn't have that on my hands. Yeah. Yeah. Mm. Well, Trina, it's been a joy meeting you and chatting with you. Thanks for being on the Plant Strong podcast. And uh, I'm glad we're finally connected. Me too. Thank you, Rip. I mean, everything that you're doing in the world and with your family and, and leading the path for so many people, uh, it's really a privilege to be here with you today. Thank you. And oh, uh, very nice to chat with you. So, so welcome. All right. Hey, sign out with me. Ready? Repeat after me. Ready? Peace. Peace. Give me the peace sign. Now just just turn it around. Engine two. Engine two. That's my origins right there. Engine two. And then plant strong. Give plant me the strong, first baby. Yeah. Boom. Right. <laughs> Love it. That was a fun and inspiring breath of sweet fresh air from Drina. I don't know about you, but I am officially hungry and I am gonna dive in and make those Beyond Beet burgers that we talked about. And uh, I hope you'll dive into something delicious as well. For all the links and resources for this episode, visit plantstrongpodcast.com. Now, next week, we're going to go from kitchen inspiration to brain motivation with pro athlete and mindset coach, Sonia Looney. The Plant Strong Podcast team includes Carrie Barrett, Lori Kordowich, Amy Mackey, Patrick Gavin, and Wade Clark. This season is dedicated to all of those courageous truth seekers who weren't afraid to look through the lens with clear vision and hold firm to a higher truth. Most notably, my parents, Dr. Caldwell B. Esselstyn Jr. and Anne Kryle Esselstyn. Thanks for listening.